Heavenly Father, this morning as we dive straight into your word, may we see a life that lived for you and may it challenge us to live our lives for you as well. So bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. First-time parents are really fun to watch. Have you ever watched some first-time parents, the challenges? You've been first-time parents, many of you. Uh, The hard thing is that nobody tells you what it's like to be a first-time parent, and there's no real way to explain it either. You just have to experience it, and the learning curve is so steep. Many of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I was thinking about several different parts of being a parent, Um, like um, when when your wife becomes pregnant, all of a sudden, men, you start to notice things differently. You notice every crack in the sidewalk, every possible step or tripping hazard, any pebble that's in front of your wife as she walks along. Uh, Jen, my wife, when she was pregnant with our first son, Caffrey, uh, we'd go on walks in the neighborhood every day, and as we would walk along, I would point out things. Babe, watch out for that. Be careful over here. And she would so sweetly smile and say thank you, while in her mind, I'm sure she was saying, "Uh, babe, I'm not going to fall any more now than I would if I wasn't pregnant. And if I did fall, it's not like I'm going to pop open or something. But first-time parents, you just learn things differently. Or, Or this one, no one ever tells you how bad changing diapers really is. Uh, after Jen and Caffrey and I had been transferred from that birthing room to a normal hospital room, uh, we're so groggy and tired. We've been up all night long. Jen's in the bed kind of recovering. Uh, Caffrey's, I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I was so tired. Uh, but it, it was time for him to have his first diaper change. And the nurse came in, and she looked at me, and I looked at her with fear and trembling in my eyes. And she said, it's time to change his diaper and so I pulled a fast one and I said, oh, well, well, could, you, could you show me how it's done? Pretty smooth, right? And uh, so she sweetly changed his diaper and all I have to say is, wow. You don't know what you don't know and if you've never changed a diaper, you don't know. Or this one, uh, first time parents, maybe you know this one. Um, no one ever told me this. We, we get Caffrey, we're, uh, we're, we've been at the hospital a couple days, we're ready to head home. Um, I've already prepared the car seat, you know, the base now that you, that you can clip the car seat in, and I've strapped that thing in, I've watched the YouTube videos, I read the manual, that thing is in there just perfectly. I never read manuals, by the way, but this is someone's life we have here. And we get him, in fact, um, here's a couple of pictures on the screen here, you can jump all the way, yep, there we go. So that was our nurse that changed Caffrey's diaper, what an incredible lady. This is us leaving the hospital, Caffrey's there in his little car seat, I get him clipped in, I open the door, Jen gets in, we, we, we uh, buckle her in, I go around, I open the door, I get in, I buckle, I start, start, start the car and we're sitting there and I can't drive forward because I'm terrified. There's a, a, a little baby, a helpless baby in the back seat, and I just feel like everyone in Atlanta is trying to wreck us. It's terrifying. I couldn't drive forward, and nobody tells you about this stuff. You just have to experience it. Or this one. Nobody ever tells you how hard it is to name a child. I mean, today there are so many opinions. Everybody's got an opinion on a name, and there's so much judgy attitudes when it comes to naming kids. Do you know what I mean? Are you judgy a little bit? I think we all are at some level. You hear a name and you think, are you kidding me? That's the best they could come up with? Oh, it's a family name. Sure it is. Yeah, right. 
And sometimes there are family names, like grandfather, grandmother, and it just gets passed down to the next generation, and that's good. But oftentimes, uh, you pick a name that is not as familiar. So my family, my wife, her middle name is Callista. And if we were going to have a girl, her name was going to be Callista, and we'd call her Callie. Well, when uh, our oldest son was born, or when, before he was born, we found out he was a boy, and we thought, well, we can, let's, let's have him have a name that starts with the letter C as well. And as we thought about all these names, we came up with the name Caffrey because I'm a Smith and I'm a Matt Smith and there's a million of us, so we wanted to give him kind of a unique name. But finding those names is so challenging. You, you, you pick a name, you read the, the description, you, you, you pray that this person, this kid will become what the meaning of his name is. And sometimes you just wish that somebody else would pick the name for you. In John the Baptist's story, God gives him his name. But that's not all he gives him. He gives him his life calling, as well as something that would change the world forever. His story begins in the book of Luke, and if you have your Bible, I invite you just to open it with me to Luke chapter 1, where we see the beginning of his story. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a blue one in front of you that you can follow along on page 722. And uh, I'll give you a little context as you're turning there. uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are John's parents. Um, The Bible describes them right there in verse 6 as, here, we'll put it on the screen for you. It says that Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. They were good people. Zechariah was a Levite, and so as Levites would do, they had opportunity to go serve in the temple. And in those courses and those divisions of Levites, they would draw straws or they'd cast lots to find out who, which which Levite would go and serve in the temple. And it just so happens that Zechariah gets chosen. So he goes and he goes to serve in the temple. And while he is inside tending to the incense, something amazing happens because an angel appears to him. Zechariah is terrified. And here's what happens. Verse 11, Luke chapter one, verse 11. Here's how the story goes. An angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Jump down to verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And as Zechariah hears these words, not only is he in shock, but he's also in disbelief. I mean, this guy is old. He is past his prime, and so is his wife. And it cracks me up how um, Zechariah describes his age and his wife's age. He's no dummy. He says this, I think it's in the next verse. He says, he says, I'm old, I'm an old guy, but my wife, she's just well along in years. This guy's smart. He's kind of like, I'm old, but she's just experienced. And he's trying to understand how this is possible that an old guy and his old wife can have a baby. It's, he asks the same question, how can it be? It's the same question that Mary in the next chapter asks Gabriel as she is told that she's going to have a baby. How can this be? Zechariah is in disbelief. 
he thinks it's impossible, and most of all, he's worried about the details. Oh, how often we worry about the details. You don't know the future of your job, and so all you talk about are the details of finding a new one. You don't know the future of your marriage, and so all you do is talk about the details of child custody. You don't know the future of your health prognosis, and so all you do is talk about the details of a possible cure. You don't know the future of which college you're going to choose, and so all you do is talk about the details of the application that you sent in. You don't know if you'll be single forever, and so all you do is talk about the details of the husband and wife that you really want. And sometimes, when all we can do is talk about the details, it takes God closing our mouths and shutting us up for us to begin trusting him with the details. Stop talking about the details and start trusting that God already has them figured out. And as Zechariah is worried about the details, he, he, he exits this, this temple where he's been serving and people wonder what happened on the inside because he's been in there a long time and he comes out, uh, he's obviously been worrying, he's, he's heard some news and he's been talking with Gabriel and Gabriel basically says, bro, I stand in the presence of the Most High God. Here you are worrying about details when your job is simply to trust God, but because all you can do is talk about details, you won't be talking until this baby is born. He comes out of the temple and people see a change in Zechariah. He can no longer talk. All he can do is motion that he has no voice. When I was pastoring in, in Buford, Georgia, the other side of Atlanta, Buford, Georgia, Buford Family SDA Church. It's a really cool church. It grew so fast. Incredible people there. I got to serve with a man named Jay Robertson. Here's a picture of Jay. There he is. What an incredible man. Um, just, just a beautiful human being. Calm, positive, so incredibly good at conflict resolution. I sat at tables with him with church members that were going through divorces and he would just work them and, and pray for them and just, he was just a beautiful guy that could do anything. But one of his best characteristics was his voice. He had this uh, beautiful, buttery, sweet voice that just sounded like you were talking to God whenever you'd talk with him. Uh, he, he, uh, he called me one day and he said, And his voice was completely gone. Absolutely gone. He's the head elder of our church, and oftentimes he'd have to come up and he'd speak up front, but even with a microphone, you could barely hear his voice. It was constantly strained as he worked for a massive corporation in their conflict resolution department, and he, he would constantly have to be talking to people, and it was, it was, it was gone completely. He went to doctors and they probed and prodded and examined and x-rayed, looked at his vocal cords, everything, and they had no idea. And so day after day, he and I would pray about this. And we would, we would ask God, hey, what are you trying to say here that he can't say anything? Will you give his voice back to him? Let him be a voice for you, God. Days passed, weeks passed, months passed, years passed, no voice. About 
three and a half, four years ago, I got a phone call. No longer living in Buford, I was living in Marietta, and, and I looked down on my phone, and it's Jay, and I said, hey, Jay, how are you? And he says, hello, Matt. <laughs> I just started crying because his voice was back. What a life change. And Zechariah, as he is silent and without his voice, he heads home to somehow communicate with Elizabeth that she's going to be pregnant. Soon after this, she becomes pregnant. Six months later, you know the experience where Mary comes, and she's pregnant with Jesus, but nobody knows but her. And she and Elizabeth get together, and when they come close together, John, the six-month-old baby in her belly, he leaps and jumps like he's trying to high-five his cousin. It's like he knows his role before he's ever taken his first breath. He knows his calling before he's ever born. Fast forward a few months, and Elizabeth has her baby, the family's around, neighbors are around, everybody's excited about this baby boy, and they, just like some parents do today, they didn't name him right away. Several days pass, a whole week passes. On the eighth day, they decide they need to put a name with the face, and so they begin to talk about names. Some of the people say, we should call him Zechariah after his dad. And Elizabeth says, no way, his name is John. And everyone looks at her like she's crazy. There's no Johns in the family. That's such a generic name. Why would you call him John? And so someone says, let's ask Zechariah what he thinks. So somebody hands him an iPad so he can scribble out a name, and he writes down, his name is John. And instantly, like Jay Robertson, Zechariah gets his voice back, and the very first words out of his mouth are praise. He uses his voice to declare a special calling on the life of John. Listen to this highest calling that I believe comes from God through Zechariah to his son, John. It's in verse 76 of Luke chapter 1. It's just a few verses that we'll read. Luke 1, 76, here's what it says. Zechariah and God say, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. What a blessing. What a beautiful baby dedication. John's calling, foretold by the prophets of old, are pronounced over this little boy. His life purpose is pronounced to the whole world, a purpose that's beyond humans, a purpose that's beyond a human lifetime, a purpose that's beyond human strength, a purpose that's beyond human ability that only because of God's purpose and calling in his life he's able to fulfill. And John's ministry begins. You know, this past week as I've been brooding and dwelling over Zechar or, uh, John's life, I've thought about his calling, and it's obvious that this guy, John, is quite a different guy. He's unique. Uh, he, uh, he was different than people. He ate differently than people. I mean, the guy ate locusts. That's gross. He dressed differently. He wore animal skins. He probably smelled differently than everybody else, too. I mean, he's a unique guy, but he's called for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to go before the Savior of the world. You know, that preposition before is an interesting one. 
John's call to go before him, to prepare the way to go in front of him. And as I've thought of it, uh, prepositions are interesting in the fact that they, they do a couple different things. Prepositions will sometimes tell you location. This was above that, or it was below that. Sometimes they'll tell you time, too. It happened before this or after that. And as you think of this word before, that John is called to call before Jesus, I think there's a couple different ways to think of it. It's kind of like this sign. Here's a picture of a sign. You ever seen these? Probably not in Florida. I, don't, I legit don't know if they have these signs in Florida. I doubt they do. Anywhere north of that uh, Florida-Georgia line, you probably find these signs a little bit. Uh, this sign, while it's very simple, has baffled me for the majority of my life. In fact, um, it wasn't until just a few years ago that I realized what the sign actually meant because I've read this sign one of two ways, that the bridge ices before the road as far as location. I've always thought this sign is saying, okay, as you're driving along the freeway and you get to an overpass, it's a bridge, you get up on that bridge, now just before the road begins again, that's where the ice will form. You can call me an idiot later, it's fine, that's just how I've read it. A location before the road, just before the road, right before you get to the road, that's where it ices. Obviously, this sign is saying that the bridge, where there's airflow underneath it, it ha- gets ice on it before the road will. Time-wise, it ices before, earlier than the road. And when I think of John and his calling that he's called to go before Jesus, I think it's both time and location. He's called to enter the world before Jesus, time-wise, He's entered uh, and, and to, to communicate a message before Jesus is there. And that's so important because if John hadn't come and showed the need for a Savior, people wouldn't have known their need for him. So Jesus enters the world and he, he, he tells people what they don't know, that they're sinners and need a Savior before Jesus comes. But also, the location, the before is in the heart of the people that he talked to time-wise and location, and he's called to share with people their need, and Jesus enters the world, and lives are changed. John, his purpose, his calling, his mission was to prepare people before Jesus came. And you know what? John's purpose and his calling and his mission is the same calling and purpose and mission that you and I have too. I've been slowly reading through the book, The Desire of Ages. It's by far one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life. And this undoubtedly inspired author, Ellen White, she writes these words. Here it is on the screen. She says, in preparing the way for Christ's first advent, that's his first coming as a baby, he, John, was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. That's you and me. It's the same calling. It's the same purpose as it was in the days of John. It is today too, to prepare a way. That's every Christian. That's every disciple. It's every Seventh-day Adventist too. That's our unique calling in the three angels' messages to prepare the world for Jesus' second coming. And to be honest, we make this so hard and it's so simple. 
Oh, we think that the best way to prepare is big events and with thousands of dollars and we think that preparing someone has to be done with a professional, someone that's been to seminary, someone that has a master's of divinity. But the purpose and calling of John the Baptist is the same for you and me and it's for every single one of us, the priesthood of all believers. You know, we we make it so hard and yet it's so simple because it's modeled in the life of Jesus. Ellen White writes in probably my favorite quote ever in the ministry of healing, here's what she says. She says, Christ's method, here's how he did it, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with people as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and he won their confidence and then he invited them, follow me. That's easy. That's being with people. It's spending time with people. It's listening to people. It's hearing their heart, their journey, their struggles. It's, it's living their life with them. It's building relationships. It's praying with them. It's, it's making a friendship, and that friendship turns into an opportunity to help somebody know Jesus. And that is something that everybody can do. Just a few weeks ago, our, our pastoral team headed up to Morganton, Georgia, and we spent time dreaming about what a disciple is and defining it so that we can, more, we can help our church more and more become disciples. And the overarching principle is simple, that disciples make disciples. Uh, that's the goal of every disciple. And the thing is, is that every disciple, every, every person that you meet is going to look different as you disciple them. Everybody's in a different place, in a different, in a different way. Some people that you know are incredibly secular and don't have any connection to anything spiritual. Uh, that might just be coworkers or neighbors um, that don't have even a heart's desire for understanding Jesus. And maybe it's just building a relationship with them that's the first step. Um, others, other people, they already have the Holy Spirit working and, and pushing them. It reminds me of my friend AJ and his wife, Vanessa. They go to our church, you know. They usually come to second service. I just met them a few weeks ago. Uh, They came up to me and they said, hey, Pastor Matt, um, we just started coming to this church and we love it and and we both want to get baptized. And they said, well, this is awesome. Let's meet. Let me hear your story. And um, one of my favorite things to do is to give Bible studies and, and, and help people walk in that journey with Jesus. I have 11 people right now that I'm working with to help them grow with their understanding of Jesus. And AJ and Vanessa, they showed up in my office just, um, this is two weeks ago, and they sat and I, and I asked them the same question I ask everybody. Hey, tell me your journey with Jesus. What does it look like so far? And so they, they started to share and AJ said, well, you know, Matt, like I, I grew up in a Christian home and I was baptized as a kid, but I haven't been connected to Jesus for years and years and years. And I just started praying recently. And because I was praying, I I feel like I felt like I needed to start reading the Bible, so I've been reading the Gospels, and, and as I've been reading the Gospels and hearing the life of Jesus, I, I, I know that I have to be baptized. And that's the story of somebody whose heart is, is being pushed by the Holy Spirit on this journey, and I get to be the one that, that guides them through this process and helps them know Jesus better. Everybody's in a different place. Some people are already in love with Jesus, but you get the opportunity to connect with them and, and walk with them. It reminds me of my neighbor. She lives just down the street. Uh, she's awesome. I, I first met her about a year ago after we moved into our, our current house. And I was driving by on the street. And she was out in the front yard with her 12 or 13-year-old kid. And they both had 
plastic swords and they were sword fighting and having fun. The next day as I was driving by, she was out in the yard again and I just pulled over and, and I said, hey, I just live up the street, my name's Matt, and I just wanted to tell you that I think you're a really great mom. She about started crying because I think that's what every mom and dad wants to hear. And um, she, so ever since then, we've been friends. Every time we see each other, we wave and smile. Just the other day, uh, this last week, she was walking her dog past my house and I was outside with my kids playing and, and I waved at her and she waved back and, she's, and, I, and I told her, I said, hey, I, I saw your husband, he's a cop and he, he, he pulled into the driveway earlier and he looks exhausted. And she said, I don't know if you're a praying man, but my husband's name is Brian and he's going through a lot and I really want you to pray for him. And I said, well, I'm a pastor, so I do pray quite a bit. It's, it's amazing the people that God puts in your life, that you have a calling to bless them, to help them prepare themselves for Jesus. How blessed are we to have a calling like John the Baptist, to prepare the way for Jesus in their hearts. It's God's mission. It's his calling. It's his purpose and it's for his glory. But you and I get the unbelievable honor of sharing about his marvelous grace and mercy as we prepare others to meet Jesus. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, God, as we look at the life of John the Baptist, as we look at his calling, it stirs a challenge within my soul, and I know it does others as well, to be on your mission, to find those people that need to hear about you. So God, I ask that you'll go before us and go with us and go after us Help us prepare people to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.